These are the men who teach their liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. The reason they can teach you such lies is they've deceived themselves. They have lied to themselves so much to the point that they are calloused in their conscience. And, and they don't even cringe when they tell you some hideous doctrine from hell. French essayist Michael de Montaigne once wrote concerning disciplining children, Of all the misbehaviors we try to correct in them, lying is the only fault whose birth and progress we should consistently oppose. They grow with the child's growth, and once the tongue has got the knack of lying, it is difficult to imagine how impossible it is to correct it. And who was the first liar, and remains the biggest liar there ever was? Of course, that's Satan, isn't it? Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will continue a message he began in our previous broadcast. It has to do with a topic that affects every person ever born, except for one, and his name, of course, is Jesus. All the rest of us were born in a fallen state, born under the curse of sin, all because of a lie, a lie from the father of lies that Eve believed and Adam didn't resist. That lie came from Satan, didn't it? In John 8:44, Jesus told the Pharisees, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let's see what else we can find out about this enemy of our souls. Here's Pastor Kreloff to tell us. Now, this brings us... Uh, up to, to two important questions that we that we need to ask. Number one, who is Satan? Who is Satan? And number two, why is Satan in the Garden of Eden about to tempt Eve? What does he care about this? What are his interests in this? Answer number one to who is Satan. The Bible teaches that Satan was originally a very beautiful angel named Lucifer. In fact, I, there are two passages of Scripture that, that tell us about this. And uh, the first one is in Ezekiel chapter 28. If you can find Ezekiel and Rex, this would be a good point, a good time for you. Is Rex not here? Okay. This would have been a good time for Rex to recite to us Ezekiel. But Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, it does speak about a king. It does speak about the, uh, the king of Tyre, but it goes beyond that. The language would tell us that it is more than a human king. And, and we know from other scriptures that, uh, that demons and Satan are behind often the, the uh, nations of the world, even though they're not aware of that. Daniel teaches that. This makes perfect sense that in Ezekiel 28, he is referring to Lucifer or Satan. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub. See, that's a, an order of angel who covers and I placed you there, and you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. We don't know. It's still a great mystery as to why Satan sinned or how with a sinless creature that God created there could be unrighteousness. Um, we don't know this. But we do know that unrighteousness was found in him. This is the origin of evil by the abundance of your trade and, and, and so forth. But jump down to verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. So we, we learn from this that originally he was beautiful, but in his beauty, he was corrupted. And you'll see why in a moment. Isaiah is the other passage of scripture. Isaiah 14 
And once again, Isaiah begins by talking about a human leader, but it goes beyond that, and the language would indicate this. Verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. That is another word for Lucifer. Lucifer means the day star or star of the morning or shining one. He must have originally reflected God's glory and uh, shined forth. Star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened, you who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, and this is why Lucifer fell. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mountain of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. It was not enough for Lucifer to be beautiful, to be even over the other angels. He wanted to be like God. And when it says here that um, that uh, to exalt himself above the stars, stars is often used in scripture, especially the Old Testament, to refer to angels. It's used that way in Job 38 verse 7. He wanted to be above them all, so much so that he was equal with God. Satan's sin was pride and arrogance. In fact, that's repeated in, in 1 Timothy 3.6. When you're looking at uh, prospective elders, Paul says, 1 Timothy 3.6, he's not to be a, a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. The devil's condemnation goes back to pride and arrogance and conceit, wanting to be like God wanting to be greater than he is. And Paul says, don't you choose an elder as a new believer because he'll think he's better than others. And that's precisely what Satan thought. He was better than others. He was so great, he was going to be as great as God. So Satan is a fallen angel. That's who he is. No longer is he called Lucifer. It's not his name anymore. He's not the shining one who reflects God's light. Now he's known by such negative and wicked names as Satan, which means adversary. He is our adversary. He is the enemy. Devil means accuser. It means the slanderer. He does accuse us before God. He accuses us to one another. Where do you think you get negative thoughts about people? Not only does it come from from ourselves, but he tempts us in that area. He's also called the serpent, the dragon, the evil one. So that answers the question, who is he? Very basically. You can read all kinds of books on this and go deeper with this. But I would caution you to not make too much of Satan. The Bible makes just enough of Satan. There are two extremes we can go to. There are some who think that Satan's in everything and there's a demon behind every bush and some think that if you sneeze, you've got the uh, the sneeze of demons or things like that, it, that they see demons everywhere. The other extreme is to ignore Satan, to make like he doesn't exist, and that's not true. We need to have a balanced biblical perspective. So don't make too much of him, but be aware of him. The second question is, what's he doing in the Garden of Eden? Why is he there? And I think the answer to this is that he's the enemy of God. He hates God, and he opposes everything that God approves of. God, This is God's creation. God has created man in his image and likeness. Man is the closest thing in terms of likeness to God, and Satan hates Adam and Eve, and he hates us. So he opposes Adam and Eve, There, and, and, uh, and now he uh, tries to defeat God through mankind. You see, the battle is really between Satan and God. We're just kind of in the middle of it because we represent the Lord, and he really can't get to God. And so he tries to come at us, and that's what he's there uh, doing in the garden. He hates God, and he is opposed to everything God is doing. So here's the scenario. Satan, using the form of a beautiful 
clever animal begins to talk to Eve with the intent of deceiving her. And here's the timeless principle that applies to us. Satan always comes to us in a deceptive way. He is never up front. He never introduces himself and says, Hi, I'm the devil, I'm evil, and I'm out to get you. Never like that. He is always deceptive. He's not going to appear to you today in the form of a snake, but he does tempt us by men and women who look good on the outside. And they sound impressive, but they are messengers of Satan. Let's let's look back at 2 Corinthians again. 2 Corinthians 11, which is a key passage of scripture because Paul speaks so much of the, in this ver in this chapter about Satan and his craftiness and deceit and disguises. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, it'd be good to put a, a little bookmark there. 2 Corinthians 11 Verses 3 and 4, but I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, notice the target is your mind, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And then he says in verse 4, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which we have not, uh, you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, You bear this beautifully. What he's saying is that understand that Satan's deceptiveness comes in the form of false doctrine, false thinking. He wants to corrupt your mind. His target is your mind. We'll jump down to verse 13. For such men, and here he's still continuing the thought, here's where they come from. Such men, such false teachers, are false apostles, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They, They come across as real men of God. But in reality, says verse 14, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. Folks, that's, that's the world that we live in. This is where it applies to us. Some of us have been exposed to teaching and, and have entertained it that is just evil. But it sounds so good. It sounds good. It makes us feel good. Satan is a deceiver. It says in Revelation 20, verse 10, that he, in the tribulation, will deceive the whole world. He's a deceiver. And he will deceive you with all kinds of promises and false teaching that makes you feel good about yourself. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's let's look at that. 1 Timothy. 1st and 2nd Timothy speak about some of these very same issues. 1st Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, verses 1 and 2, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith. Why? Because they're going to be paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. And, and by means of the hypocrisy of liars, these are the men who teach their liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. The reason they can teach you such lies is they've deceived themselves. They have lied to themselves so much to the point that they are calloused in their conscience. And, and they don't even cringe when they tell you some hideous doctrine from hell. Then, then look over at 2 Timothy chapter 3, which really continues the thought though it's another book, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But realize this, Paul writes, in the in the last days, difficult times will come. What times are you talking about? Well, he goes on to explain how people will be. But what's behind much of this? Verse 13, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
being deceived. He's saying there's false teaching that's going to come in. He's talking here in the context of the church, of the local church. Evil men are going to come in. And then notice chapter 4, verse 3. And I know I'm jumping around here, but the thought is continued. There's a thread here. Verse 3, for the time will come when they, meaning God's people or people in the church, will not endure sound doctrine. For wanting to have their ears tickled, they will, will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Folks, that's where the devil comes in. He deceives you by telling you things you want to hear, things that make you feel good. Erwin Lutzer, in his very, very good book, The Serpent of Paradise, writes this. He does not come as the devil, the adversary of God. He could have come to Adam and Eve, revealing his terrifying fury and evil intentions, but he has no regard for truth in advertising. He comes under a disguise, and without revealing who he really is, he changes himself into something he is not to deceive others. He does not come to frighten, but to soothe, to encourage, to instruct. He goes on to say, Satan never shows us the consequences of psychedelic drugs or alcohol. He skillfully hides the results of pornography, immorality, and dishonesty. Nor does he show us the final state of those who hold to wrong beliefs about the Bible, Christ, and salvation. His strategy is to give people what they want, but to make sure they eventually get what he wants them to have. That's a very insightful statement. He gives you what you think you want, but he makes sure in the end that you get exactly what he wants you to get. He tickles your ears. So beware of false teaching. Beware of Bible teachers or those who counsel you or those who give you advice, who are out to promise you the world and give you uh, what I would call the warm fuzzies, which is just what so many Christians are looking for, relief. Give me something that makes me feel good, that helps me to get through the day. And you start thinking like that, and you are going to be open to Satan's deception because that is where he will come in. Remember, he deceives us by thoughts given through those who appear to be servants of righteousness, but they are servants of darkness. And some Christians are so undiscerning that they don't even listen to the doctrine so much, but if somebody gets up and really sounds good, that's what they're impressed by. Well, he's a good speaker. Well, what do he say? He's a good speaker. Well, what do he say? Well, he's really good. Well, words were flowing. And I'm telling you, that's where many Christians are. They have thrown discernment right out the door, and if somebody is just glib and very articulate and well-dressed, he must be good. If he gets a book published, if he has some things written about him, if he's been written up in a magazine, if he's on television, he must be good. You know how you get on television, on radio? You just give enough money. You think they care, except for certain stations? You think they care about doctrinal purity? They don't care about doctrinal purity. Even books that are written. Just because a book is in a bookstore, you think the publisher cares about doctrinal purity? I'm telling you they don't care about it. What they care about is will this sell because nobody's in business to lose money. That's what they care about. So be very, very careful about that. And remember that Satan's target is your mind. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 11.3. His target is your mind. Now, why does he target your mind? Why doesn't he just go after you in other, in other areas? He targets your mind... Because that's the area where God communicates with you. That's where he reveals his will to you from his word. And that's where he establishes correct thinking that leads to correct living. If the devil can mess up your minds and thinking, he's going to mess up your life. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks, so is he. What you think is how you're going to behave. So how do you counter Satan's thoughts? 
by thinking that's correct and thinking that's godly, which means that you have to guard your mind by the truths of the word of God. That's how you evaluate everything. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Philippians 4, 8 says, whatsoever things are true, think on these. In other words, if it's not true, don't let it get a foothold in your mind, which means you've got to be on guard. That's why the devil doesn't make you do anything, but he sure tempts you to think the wrong way. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 speak about our, our adversary, the devil, who walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. And then you know what Peter says? Resist him in the faith. Resist him in your faith. Cling to the truths of the faith, the word of God. And that is precisely what Eve should have done. Of course, she didn't have as much revelation as we have. And Eve was deceived. But the very next step after deception is doubt. Doubt. I listened this morning a little bit to Joe Stoll on the radio. How many heard Dr. Stoll on the radio from Moody? He has a radio program. I thought he's always taking my messages here. As I'm speaking on doubt, that's, that's not true, but he did speak on doubt, and it was very good. But let's, let's look further, because deception is the first step, and it leads to a second step. And that second step is found at the end of verse 1. Indeed, he says this. Indeed, he, he speaks now. Has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Has God really said that? As Satan begins to speak to Eve, he initiates the conversation in the form of a question. And he asks if God really has said that she and Adam can't eat from all the trees in the Garden of Eden. Remember, they were forbidden to eat from from uh, from one tree. They were given all the other trees, but one tree they, they couldn't eat. And that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, someone may wonder, well, why did God give them a, a prohibition to begin with? Why not say everything? Because... With a moral creature, there has to be a moral decision. God didn't make Adam and Eve as robots. Moral behavior is only moral when there's an option to do something contrary. Otherwise, it's not really morality. It's not really morality. In other words, morality is only morality when there's a choice. And so there was a choice. And that's true of us as well. Now, you may wonder also, what's the big deal about this question? You just said, is God really said this? Oh, there's something far deeper than, than just a question. There's a suggestion. There's a suggestion that God is not good. God is not as good as you think. It's a question that is designed to put doubt into Eve's mind about the goodness of God. In other words, here's the thought of this question. Eve, you got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. God didn't really say that, did he? Eve goes on to say, yeah, he did. See, the suggestion is that God is not being fair with Adam and Eve. Because if he was being fair, why would he hold anything back from you? Why would he do that? God is wrong in, in his workings in your life. And here's the wicked subtlety of Satan. And watch this. God gave Adam and Eve a positive command to eat all that they wanted to in the garden, but one tree fruit from one tree, but only one exception, but you can eat everything else. There's no problem. Everything else, all this freedom, Satan comes along and he does this with us. He twists this freedom around to sound as if God's command is negative. God's command is negative, that he's holding something back from you that's good. Instead of dwelling on all that God has given us, and this is true in our lives, instead of dwelling on all that God has given to us, we tend to be tempted by him, we are tempted by him, and we tend to buy into it 
Because Satan calls our attention to the one and only thing that God hasn't given to us. Or certain things that God hasn't given to us. You see that demented, twisted thinking? And that's where many of us are at. Rather than dwelling on the goodness of God and how much he's given to us, all we focus on is what I don't have. Why does somebody else have good health and I don't have that? Why does somebody else have a good marriage? I don't have that. What has God given you? But that becomes our focus. Folks, this is really how, how he tempts us. He suggests to us that the Christian life is too strict. God is too rigid. There are too many negatives in the Christian life. Your God is a killjoy. He just got you saved to mess up your life. He's out to take all the fun and enjoyment out of life. Satan doesn't remind us how much enjoyment there is in knowing the Lord and all that he's given to you. That's where many of us have bought into these these doubts. If God had my best interest at heart, he would let me do whatever I want to do because I'd feel good. And if God loved me, he knows that I really need this in my life. And I want you to know that uh, one of, of Satan's key tactics is to cast doubt in your mind about God's dealing in your life, your life. And you begin to question the integrity of God and his word and the goodness of God primarily. He wants you to question whether God has your best interests at heart. This is what he's been doing with all of us, whether God is holding back some happiness from you. Let me give you some suggestions of how this works, this temptation. If he's so good, then why does he tell you to stay married to somebody that you don't have any feelings for anymore? Why? If he's so good, then how come you don't have as much fun as your unsafe friends? If he's so good. If if he's so good then why did he give you parents who are so strict? If he's so good, then why doesn't he let you enjoy the sexual freedoms that you want? If God is so good, why do I have to suffer so much? If God is so good. And those are some, and we could go on and on. I mean, there's, you know, for each of us, there's a whole set of temptations, but they're just like that. If God is so good, why does he put me in this job that I don't like? If God is so good, why do I always have to struggle to pay the bills when others don't? When you start getting thoughts like these, what you you don't want to do is what Eve did. Now, I understand she was deceived, and there was no sin yet here. But we know better. She carried on a dialogue with the devil. You don't want to do that. You don't want to talk to the devil. Someone asked me years ago, don't you talk to him? I said, no, I have nothing to say to him. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to disparage salespeople. There are a lot of wonderful people in sales. But if Satan was a salesman, he'd be the most prodigious salesman in history, wouldn't he? In fact, now that I think about it, that's just what he is. What's he selling? Well, lies, of course, doubt, mistrust of God, and ultimately, misery and death. Pastor Steve is right. When the devil calls, hang up immediately. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel. Lakeside Chapel is located in Clearwater, Florida at 1893 Sunset Point Road. For service times, call 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. The number again is 727-441-1714. Today's broadcast was the second part of a three-part message as we begin a study from Genesis 3 about the fall of man. To go back and hear the previous program or any of the hundreds in our archive, 
visit versebyverseradio.org and click the Message Archive link. We also have a giving page for those who would like to help support Verse by Verse. We're thankful to and for the generous listeners who contribute to this ministry. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. As we've seen, Eve, even before the fall, didn't do very well debating Satan. Jude wrote that even Michael the archangel didn't try to argue with Satan. What chance do you and I have if we try to reason with the devil? But there is something that we can do that will cause him to run away. Pastor Steve will tell us about that on the next Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Thank you so much for listening to Faith Talk 570 and 910. We truly appreciate all of you. And this week, we're spending time discussing ways that we can connect with you even more. If you use Facebook and you like our station, how about letting us know by liking our Facebook page? It's a small thing, but believe me,